mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Alrighty, we are back once again to explore faith and pursue grace. I am Lee Grant. This is Kevin Pendergrass, and I am so happy to say that finally, at long last, this wicked cold has left the building, and I'm doing better. Unfortunately, Kim has uh, contracted it a little bit, and she's still dealing with some of the lingering hoarseness. But other than that, things are good. And this evening, by the time this airs, I will have long been well and long past it. This is going to air the week of Christmas and how appropriate that we would discuss what is arguably the largest, most observed holiday in the very least in the Western world, perhaps the entire world. Christmas is a holiday that many people look forward to. They love the festivities. They love the lights. They love the trees and the gifts and the presents. Some people love the eggnog. Some people love the candy canes. Whatever your flavor is, whatever it is you appreciate about this day, it's one that a lot of people appreciate and enjoy. Equally so, though, well, maybe not equally so, but there is a very vocal minority that opposes this holiday as well. And I know, Kevin, you fell into that category. And it's interesting. My story with Christmas is a little different. I kind of fell into that category, too. But we've completely changed on this topic. Yeah, I didn't oppose Christmas. I oppose celebrating Christmas as the birth of Christ. Okay, yeah, that I think that would be a fair <laughs> assessment to make. I know I love Christmas. A, just don't bring baby Jesus into it. That was baby my Jesus view for many it. years. Yeah, well, and likewise. I mean, I definitely tooted the horn for a while that we should not celebrate Christmas, which is which is extremely interesting. Whenever you think about my background with Christmas, which we'll talk about in a minute. But then I I shifted my perspective on it. I didn't think that there was anything wrong with celebrating Christmas as just a purely secular holiday. But that was even an issue for several of the uh, good preaching brethren within the one cut branch of the Churches of Christ. They didn't believe that was possible. And that's a part of this conversation we'll have later. But ho, 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 Merry Christmas. That's what we're talking about today. Should a Christian celebrate Christmas? Can a Christian celebrate Christmas? And this is going to follow much of the same pattern that our discussion of Halloween did. Um, We're going to hit a lot of the same points in the conclusion. We'll just give you a spoiler right here at the very beginning. If you don't want to listen to 30 or 40 minutes of us talking, (laughs) but yeah, there's nothing wrong with it. And we'll, we'll explain our rationale for it. But before we get into that, we'll kind of listen to the Halloween episode and replace it with the word Christmas. And you'll have this episode. Yeah, well, you know, instead of Sawin, you can replace that with Sol Invictus and what have you. And we'll we'll talk about all that later. Sam Hain. Sam Hain, that's right. But here's here's what's interesting though. You know, whenever I was a member of the one cup branch of the Churches of Christ, not long after I had converted, um, it was really interesting to me that I didn't see any Christmas iconography in my in-laws' house. It wasn't something that they did. And like you, they had a strong aversion to celebrating Christmas or looking at it as the birthday to baby Jesus, because there's, there's no scriptural authority for such a thing. You know, we have scriptural authority to be able to celebrate, you know, or observe, I should say, the death of Christ in the communion. We, you know, do that on the first day of every week. And there's no authority to celebrate the birth of Christ anywhere given in scripture. So it's not something we should do. 
Now, they would have what they would call a family day in which we would get together and exchange presents sometime around New Year's. Um, but it wasn't Christmas. We didn't use Christmas themed, you know, wrapping paper or anything like that. And to be fair, my in-laws were not extremely hypercritical or judgmental of people that did celebrate Christmas. They, they didn't castigate anybody. They didn't cast aspersions or point fingers in anybody. And even to this day, it's like, Hey, if that's what you want to do, you go do it. We're not going to do it. it. We don't think it's, it's the right thing to do, but we're not going to condemn you if you do. So I, I definitely appreciate that posture, but growing up for me, Christmas was a huge deal. You know, just like Halloween was a big deal for you guys. Remember you were growing up for us, Christmas was the holiday. Like it was a huge to do. You could see our house from space with all the lights that we had on there. You could see our electric meter, you know, the meter box, that thing, you know, that little dial in there is just spinning. Oh yeah. That thing's spinning like a merry-go-round. You could, you could train astronauts on it if they were very tiny astronauts and check them for G-forces. Dude, we had lights everywhere. We had the tree up like at Thanksgiving or just before Thanksgiving. We had presents under the tree. I mean, it was, they would spill out into the living room. I mean, it was a big deal for us. Um, We would have Christmas Eve, a big Christmas Eve celebration at my house. My aunts and my uncles would come. I'd have a couple of my cousins that would be there. All us kids would open our presents on Christmas Eve. We'd have Christmas dinner. We'd hang out, play with our new presents, stay up till 12 or 1 in the morning, just playing with stuff and talking and visiting and having fun. Then we'd get up Christmas Day and go to my grandma and grandpa's house, and we'd open some more presents there. We'd have a big Christmas lunch. We'd all just hang out and sing songs around the piano. I mean, it was a big deal. It was something that was a huge deal for us. And so that transition away from that with my in-laws, it, it was a little jarring for me. Now, did you but, celebrate it as the birth of Christ? Oh, we did growing up. Okay. We absolutely did. It was, you know, we were definitely of the ilk that you keep the Christ in Christmas. Yeah. Xmas, that just simply won't do. And our good friend Daniel Rogers, he just wrote a really good article about that on his website not too long ago, talking about the history of that, which is interesting to say the least. But yeah, Xmas, that won't do. It's Christmas. You got to keep the Christ in Christmas. Happy holidays. We don't have any room for that nonsense. Kwanzaa, ah, you bunch of heathens. Hanukkah, no way, no how. No way, crazy Hanukkah. nights for us. No Hanukkah. We're None celebrating. Of that Adam Sandler mess here. That's right. Not at all. No, it was all about Christmas for us. And it was it was really jarring to move away from that and have that not be a part of our family dynamic. But after talking with my father-in-law about it and studying it with uh, my wife's cousin a few times, I mean, uh, the rationale at that point in time for me, especially within that framework in which truth is parsed, it did make a lot of sense. And for that reason, it did violate my conscience for a while to observe it. And then after a few years, I shifted over into that position of, well, it's something that you can celebrate in a secular way, as long as you don't call it Jesus's birthday and et, et cetera, et cetera. And now, of course, it's it's come full circle. I really don't care what someone does with December 25th. If they want to call it Jesus's birthday, fine. If they want to celebrate secularly, fine. It doesn't matter. Um, but Kevin, if you would, would you mind unpacking a little bit of your perspective on what Christmas was and why you oppose it? I know that's something that you had alluded to in our episode we did on Halloween. And I was wondering if you might flesh that idea out a little bit more, because I'm sure it's going to align very closely with what my belief system was at that time. Sure. It, pretty much exactly what you said, minus the Jesus part. And so we would get together, we would enjoy holiday parties, we would call them Christmas parties, we would exchange presents, loved Christmas Eve, 
have so many good memories of my family and just being able to quite frankly get a whole lot of presents. I love that part. So I Who always said it's though? better it's better to give than to receive. So be better and give. Give me a gift. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> but no, we really just had a really good time with it. And it was one of those things that when it came to the birth of Christ, that was something we recognized was quote unquote denominational, something that we don't need to participate in because as you pointed out at the first part of this podcast, that was unauthorized. There was no authority for that. And we only were to celebrate or observe the resurrection of Jesus, really the the death of Jesus. Even then, I remember hearing sermons that we don't celebrate the resurrection. We celebrate the death of Jesus on the first day of every week because of what that death meant. And part of that's the resurrection. (laughs) But just the idea that we don't have authority to celebrate Christmas as the birth of Jesus or even bringing Jesus into it whatsoever. We would not sing any songs that talked about the birth of Jesus around Christmas time. I purposefully, the song leaders would avoid it. So Silent Night, we would sing that in July, or we would sing that in the spring or the fall, but we would not at all sing that around December even because we didn't want to look like the rest of the denominational world. But we enjoyed Christmas. We enjoyed it as a secular holiday. And very similar to really what, from what I remember, how you celebrated Halloween, where you would celebrate it as, as you know, it was kind of this idea of, well, what you said growing up, you wouldn't celebrate it at all. But it was just this fun day that you would eat candy, but there wasn't that, there wasn't really any attachment to it. And that's yeah. kind of how it was with Christmas, that we we just took the, took kind of the secular parts of Christmas and made them our own. And we abstained from any talk about the birth of Jesus. Now, not my parents so much, because once again, as I explained, my mom and dad, they never really were as legalistic as I was. That was really me as I got older. But I, when I was young, oh, probably about 17 or 18 years old or younger, we went to Gatlinburg and there was a play, there was a show where they were talking about the birth of Christ. And I looked at my mom and dad and I said, we need to leave. We need to get out of here. I don't, I don't participate in this. I don't believe in this. And they're like, are you kidding me? (laughs) Can we not just stay? And I'm like, no, no, no. I don't want any, I want people to know. I don't, I don't believe in this stuff. Uh, So I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in, in this and celebrating it this way. So it's, it's just really ironic because if you read a lot of articles from those who do believe that you can celebrate Christmas as a secular holiday, but not as the birth of Jesus, especially those within the churches of Christ, they don't give any quote unquote authorization as to why it's okay to celebrate Santa Claus coming down the chimney. And quite frankly, I had a problem with that as I got older because I started, once again, my legalism came through. Well, that's a lie. You're deceiving children. So you don't need to be saying that there's a such thing as a Santa Claus. So I really thought it was ironic when I started changing that you have people who are not willing to celebrate and recognize Jesus Christ on Christmas because we're supposed to do that all all the time and every single day. But when it comes to celebrating this mythical fairy tale and telling our children it really is something that's true and and at least presenting it as a true story, that was okay. It's like, where's the authority for that? So it's just very convoluted the way that, at least the way I grew up and the way that there's so many others in the Churches of Christ specifically, and I know other denominations as well, but just really all over the map. Because my question is, well, where's the authority to celebrate Christmas as any day at all? And that's one that's one reason why what I call the One Cup brethren and brothers and sisters in Christ in the One Cup, at least they're trying to be consistent. Those who say, hey, I'm going to oppose all holidays, at least they're trying to bring some consistency into it. But this idea that I'm going to celebrate a holiday 
for a secular reason, but not for a religious reason, where's your authority for that? Because by the same token that you're claiming you have to have authority, you flip it over and, and, and where's, where's your Bible for, for celebrating it secularly? Well, and, and that to me is the biggest rub, and I'm glad you mentioned that because within the One Cup Brethren, the One Cup Brotherhood, the perspective on Christmas is what you just said and what I the mentioned at the top. The One Cup Humanhood, right? The One Cup Humanhood, yeah. The <laughs> Oh, our listeners, that's an inside joke. You'll get it later. Just ask me, ask Kevin, we'll, we'll tell you on the down low. But anyway, whenever you look at the One Cup Brethren, one of the things I do appreciate, just like what you said, there is a measure of consistency there. And I, I never fault anyone for really trying and working hard to be consistent within their worldview, whatever that worldview is. I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for that. But the two main points of opposition against Christmas, number one, has to do with biblical authority. Where's the authority for it? And we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, that's kind of where we've started. But I really want to get into the second reason why Christmas was opposed and continues to be opposed. And that is the supposed... Uh, pagan origins of the holiday itself. And growing up, I had cousins, even in my Pentecostal upbringing, we went all out and loved Christmas. We celebrated the fire out of Christmas. We loved it. But I have cousins that would not celebrate Christmas. My aunt and uncle wouldn't do it because of its pagan origins. Mm -hmm. And we had people that would come. They were uh, sister churches and sister congregations to ours that I grew up in, in the Pentecostal world, that they didn't celebrate Christmas either because of its so-called pagan origins. And the story that you hear whenever you hear about those pagan origins is that Christmas was something that was never even on the early church's radar. And you have Constantine, Emperor Constantine, who legalizes Christianity. What was that, around 330-some-odd AD or somewhere in that neighborhood? Somewhere in the 300s, Constantine legalizes Christianity and becomes the official religion of the Roman Empire. Well, they say that not too long after that, Christmas began to be a thing because now the Roman Catholic Church wanted to bring these pagans in and give them... Um, sort of dangle a carrot on a stick or maybe a candy cane, if you prefer, to try to bring some of these pagans into the fold. And in order to do that, they decided to take the pagan celebration of Sol Invictus, the Day of the Unconquered Sun, and they borrowed iconography and imagery from that and wrapped it around or wrapped um, various churchy things around it and made it a celebration of the birth of Jesus to bring them into it. And so whenever you celebrate Christmas, you're actually celebrating a pagan Roman holiday, and that's not something we should have any part of. That's that's the story I heard growing up um, from those who, who oppose the celebration of Christmas. So not only is there no authority, but it's also a pagan holiday. It's a pagan holiday, that's right. And that was the acts that I would grind against it back in my more legalistic days, I would say, well, this is a pagan holiday. We have no right to celebrate this pagan holiday. We don't need to celebrate it at all. And I began to do some reading and some research on that. Whenever I began to go through my spiritual detoxification phase and began to reevaluate some of the positions that I had held, especially those things that I had just heard secondhand from other people. Christmas was one of the things that I looked at. And so I did a little bit of research to see is Christmas, does it genuinely come from pagan roots? And the whole idea, the whole story that Christmas comes from paganism and it's a repackaging of the Sol Invictus Festival, 
That was the work of a couple of Puritan preachers from the early 1800s. That's when that story began to be bandied about. And I should have looked those names up before we got started with this podcast, but I completely forgot to do it. They had an axe to grind against the Catholic Church, and so they ground that axe. And that is a story that has perpetuated itself for close to 200 years now. Now, what's really interesting is whenever you look at the actual ancient history of Christmas, what you see is actually the opposite. The Roman Catholic Church didn't steal iconography from the pagans and repackaged it in a Christian wrapper. What actually happened was, is Christmas was something that the early church observed in the very early years, within about 100 to 120 years after the death of Christ, and then the pagans stole it from Christians. That It's really interesting wherever you think about it. We'll have an article that we'll link in our show notes. But essentially, the reason why December 25th was settled on is Jesus's birthday, which is what a lot of people oppose. They say, well, you don't need to celebrate Christmas as Jesus's birthday. That's not when he was born. The season's all wrong. The timing's all wrong. But what we're doing is, is we're looking at that through the lens of our modern anthropology, and we're not looking at it from the perspective of those ancient people. And the reason that we do that is because we're situated in our day and time. We don't think about things largely within the context of the people that originally developed these ideas. I mean, that's part of what our podcast is about. That's part of what has led to your shift in your hermeneutics and my shift in mine is contextualizing the scripture and putting it in its proper context. Whenever you look at Christmas, what's interesting is, is in ancient Jewish tradition, whenever they would look at their prophets was to whatever date a prophet died on, that was also the date considered to be the date of their conception. Whatever date that a prophet died on, that was also the date of their conception or um, annunciation, you might call it. So Jesus died sometime around the end of March, 1st of April, depending on what calendar you're looking at. If that's the date he died under that Jewish tradition, that that perspective, that was also the date that he was conceived. So fast forward nine months, and that throws the date of Jesus's birth according to that type of tradition, that way of looking at things as December 25th. So if if you look at this, yeah, it's, it's extremely interesting. And there's um, John the Baptist's Baptist's birth plays a role in this, if I can even talk tonight. Um, It's widely regarded that Zechariah, um, John's dad, was on duty during Yom Kippur, and they dated John's birth in in this similar way because he was considered to be a great prophet. And whenever you look at December 25th, that is derived in much the same way. And here's what's interesting is by the year 221 AD, there are three different Christian writers that had independently calculated the date of Jesus's birth as December 25th using this method. Irenaeus, one of the early church fathers, was one of these men, and he identified the date of this annunciation before the end of the second century. So Irenaeus came up with this long before, over a hundred years before the Sol Invictus Festival was on anyone's radar at all. Um, Hippolytus or Hippolytus, I'm not really sure how you're supposed to say his name, so I'll say it both ways. He used a different method, but he arrived at that same date as December 25th in 202 AD. And you can read about that in his commentary on Daniel 4.23. And then another um, secular historian, Sextus Julius Africanus, 
in writing his chronology of the world in 221 AD had also calculated December 25th. So you have in 221 AD, that's the latest date before Sol Invictus was established. That was established in 224, or I'm sorry, 274 AD. So over 50 years beforehand, go all the way back to Irenaeus. It's, it's a long time. Yeah. So here's what ends up happening. You have the early Christians that are thinking about the date of Jesus's birth for whatever reason. Maybe it was just kind of an exercise and fun, something that they did. And somewhere around 100 to 125 AD is whenever you first start seeing that this was something that early Christians observed. And wherever they observed it, they got together and they just had another meal on that day. It was another feast day for them. Time goes on and this becomes a bigger and bigger deal through history. Fast forward to Aurelian, I believe it was. Let me look at this again. Let me pull this back up. Yes, Emperor Aurelian started seeing how the Christians had this day and he didn't like Christianity growing and growing and growing as it was, taking the thunder away from traditional Roman religion. And that's when he established the cult of Deus Natalis Solus Invicti, the, the cult of the unconquered son. And that's when December 25th, really close to the winter solstice, was established as the day of the unconquered son. That day was decreed as the winter solstice celebration. That's more than 50 years after Sextus Julius Africanus established Christ's birthday, 72 years after Hippolytus, and at least 100 years after Arrhenius wrote about it. So what you have is the Romans stealing Christmas from the Christians, not the other way around. And so whenever I saw that that was the case, I was like, holy smokes, these things that I have said from the pulpit that I had heard from other people, it's not only wrong, I've been loud and wrong about this. <laughs> and that right there, it was like, oh, wow. And, and it brings to mind, or rather it brings the question to my mind, how many other things have I done that with? How many other things have otherwise well-learned, well-researched men and women in some cases, how many times have people promoted this idea that Christianity is based on a pagan festival when it isn't. Yeah, and I was taught all sorts of garbage and and I don't say garbage in a mean way, <laughs> but I was I was taught uh, all this all this misinformation about why Jesus could not have been born in December. And one of the reasons is because well the shepherds were out in the field and they were tending to the flocks and the sheep and we know that it would have been too cold for them to be out there. And so it was probably in the summertime. It was maybe in the springtime, but we know it could not have been in December. But anybody who wants to say it was too cold for sheep to withstand the rigors of a December night in the vicinity of Jerusalem, the average nightly low, by the way, right now, if during December, now I know things may have been different a couple thousand years ago, but you're looking at around 43 degrees. And so they would have actually been out during that time. There's no reason to believe that the sheep would have not been out or the shepherds would not have been tending to the sheep because it was a rainy season. Uh, it includes December. December is part of their rainy season. And so that's when the fields referenced in the Gospel of Luke would have had grass for the sheep to feed on. So there's yeah. when you hear these types of arguments, and I actually used to use that argument, and that's why I feel comfortable calling it garbage, because I'll call what I used to say garbage, but it was well-intended garbage. It was well-intended misinformation, because that's what I was taught. Yeah. And I, I started with the presupposition that Jesus was not born on December 25th, probably not even around December. He was probably born 
We don't know when he was born, but we know it wasn't uh, in December. And that just shows how we try to overextend our arguments. Not only is it enough, it wasn't enough to say that we don't know when Jesus was born. We try to make the case, and when I say we, those with whom I, I came from, we always tried to make the case that, well, it could not have been December 25th. So it wasn't enough to say Jesus, we don't know when Jesus was born, but we would make the case, well, we know it could not have been December. And there were all sorts of different little nuanced arguments like that, that I was taught, that I taught others. But the bottom line is that when you look at the historicity of this, as you pointed out, the early church fathers, this is nothing new. This there, There's good reason to believe that Jesus probably was born around this time of year. Now, do we know the exact date? Of course we don't know the exact date. They didn't either, but that misses the point altogether. Well, and I think whenever you recognize that you have an axe to grind against something and you have a presupposition that's fueling your inquest or rather inhibiting that inquest, it it really does make a big difference because the entire methodology that we would use to try to calculate someone's birthday like that is completely different than the way the ancient Jews did it. You know, we don't look at someone that's regarded as a prophet or we can even use modern terms if you if you're a cessationist, which I kind of still am. But if you let's just take a preacher, for example, like if you have some preacher that was born in an old timey place and you don't have their birth certificate, you don't know when they were born. You're not going to think about the date they died and say, well, the date they died is probably the same date as their conception. So let's take that date that they died, make that their conception date and then roll the clock forward 270 days or nine months. We, we don't calculate things that way, but they did that back then. I mean, for better or worse, they looked at things in a different way than we did. They, they, uh, their entire methodology was different than ours. Their hermeneutics were different than ours. And that's okay. That's not a problem. But the whole issue of this being a pagan holiday, it, if you really look at the history, it does not stand up to scrutiny. Christianity is the origin of Christmas. Christmas does not have pagan origins, period. It just simply doesn't. Now, that doesn't mean that some of the iconography that came later was not borrowed by the Catholic Church from paganism. History bears that out. That is true. But that in and of itself doesn't make something wrong. And that's the biggest argument that, that a lot of preachers would make and several preachers that I know and that I love and that I still respect wildly. I still have a great degree of respect for these men. I disagree with them and I disagree with their conclusions and the methodology they use to arrive at those conclusions, but they're still wonderful Christian men. They are doing the best they can with what they have and they are endeavoring to serve God to the best of their abilities. And I don't fault anybody for that, but one conversation. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, no. And I was just going to say, this is something that Christians always have debated. They've always debated what to celebrate. And when I'm I'm not talking specifically about Christmas per se, but if you go all the way back to Romans 14, 1 Corinthians, I mean, this is something that Christians have always had problems with. Should we celebrate this day? Should we not celebrate this day? Can we celebrate? How should we celebrate? Do we have to celebrate? This isn't anything new. We're humans. And so people are always going to be having these types of discussions. And Lee, I'm glad you pointed that out. If someone doesn't want to celebrate, that's okay. If they do want to celebrate, that's fine too. If they want to celebrate it a specific way, that's okay. If they want to be limited or if they want to be very open with how they celebrate it, all of those things are perfectly fine. And it just baffles me now to think about the legalistic mindset that I had that that would say it's okay to talk about the reindeer and to talk about Santa Claus 
and all these other things, but you can't bring Jesus into the picture. To actually say you cannot bring Jesus into anything blows my mind. And that just shows how legalism can 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 operate and destroy a system. I mean, every church that I've ever gone to celebrated Mother's Day. Well, do we not love our mothers all year around? Every church I went to celebrated Father's Day. They'd give them a little tool or something like that. Do we not love our fathers year-round? What about Grandparents' Day? Do we not love our grandparents all year-round? Friends and Family Day. I don't know of a single church that didn't have a Friends and Family Day. Well, is it every Sunday? Shouldn't that be a day we're always inviting our friends and family? Valentine's Day is not every day a day to love your spouse or, 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 or your loved ones. The type of reasoning that we would use to justify these holidays but yet say that you can't celebrate the birth of Christ because there's no authority for it or because, well, we're supposed to recognize the birth of Christ every day or whatever the kind of the the typical arguments are. It literally is, it's mind boggling. And it shouldn't be because these were arguments that I used. These are things I used to say, but that's one of the questions when someone asks me or makes the statement, well, we don't celebrate the birth of Christ because A, there's no authority. And B, we believe that we should always be thinking about the birth of Christ. My response is, first of all, you're not always thinking about the birth of Christ. So quit Nobody's celebrating the birth of Christ every day of the year. So let's just be honest for a minute. Nobody's doing that. Second of all, where's your authority for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Grandparents' Day, Friends and Family Day, Valentine's Day? Or your birthday, it, for that matter. Yeah, or, your, or any of those things. And by the way, that's why some do take the position <laughs> that you can't celebrate any days at all, including these days we're discussing in birthdays, which while I completely disagree with that framework, I at least respect the consistency that it's trying to maintain in its argumentation. But when a church is having Valentine's Day parties or Friends and Family Day or Grandparents' Day, Mother's Day, Father's Day, any of these days that they're celebrating, where's your authority for it? Yeah. And when someone says, well, we don't have to have authority for those things. Well, your Bible verse is Colossians 3.17 that says, and everything, which I find very ironic that when I read these articles, people say, well, in all things religious, we have to have authority. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says in everything, not everything religious. We've added that because we don't want, we want to continue having our secular festivities while being able to condemn those who bring Jesus into the picture. And I don't know, man, I, I get frustrated yeah. at times when talking about this because someone who was so steeped in this, like myself, I just, it, it's, I don't, I understand if people have that conscience and they, they were raised that way and that's, they, they choose not to do it. But J Paul makes it clear that whatever you do, bring Jesus into the picture. Yeah. I, I mean, any conclusion where we're saying it's wrong to bring Jesus into the picture, that should be a red flag right there. Well, and the argumentation even goes a step further than that. I'm really glad you said that because it segues into this next point perfectly. You know, one of the things that we would teach and one of the ideas that we would promote is that Christmas is not something any Christian should celebrate because there's no authority for it, like, like we already talked about. And that... <clears throat> excuse me, that it's pagan in its origins. Yeah. Anyway, there are some within the one cup churches of Christ that would celebrate Christmas that decorate their houses. I remember there was a church that I went and preached for in central Oklahoma. They would have me come up occasionally. They bring me up probably two or three times a year to preach for them. 
And one time it was in December and I would go and eat lunch at one of the members houses. And they said, Hey, we want to tell you just straight up. I, I don't want it to be a surprise. I hope you're not offended by this, but we do Christmas. We, we don't, we don't celebrate religiously, but we do Christmas and we have a tree up and lights and everything else. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. That was at the point where I had gone beyond the idea of just a complete, you know, cessation of, of observing Christmas and was saying that you could observe it secularly, much like what you were saying before. Well, as I started thinking more about it, we had a preacher who came down and preached for us once and held a gospel meeting. And we were, it was in December. He and I were having a conversation. This was a couple of years after I went and preached at this, at this church. And we were talking about Christmas and you were talking about just now how, you know, it's okay to celebrate it secularly as long as you don't bring Jesus into it. And one of the arguments he made is that it's impossible to celebrate Christmas without a religious connotation with it, that the two can't be separated from one another. And the idea, what he was essentially saying was, is he was essentially telling people what their motivation was for them (laughs) and disregarding what their motive was. He was saying, you can't observe Christmas, you know, without Christ. It, It just can't be done. Look, it's right there in the name. Yeah, it's if you say you're celebrating it secularly, you're a liar because it's an inherently religious day. And so we were having lunch afterwards and I asked myself, well, how does that work? I have a good friend of mine that that I know through my chiropractic circles who's an atheist. Mm-hmm. He's an avowed atheist. He's been an atheist for as long as I've known him. He's also one of the best people I've ever met in my life. He's one of the most kind, generous, loving people that I have ever had the privilege to know. He's a wonderful wonderful human being. He's the kind of guy that would drop anything. He'd give you the shirt off of his back, literally. Just a wonderful guy. He gets all pumped up for Christmas every year. He decorates his office to the nines. He's got lights. I mean, he he was like my family was whenever I was growing up. Gives out gifts. They do a 12 days of Christmas giveaway at their office. They give away these big prizes. They have clothing drives. They do all these things for Christmas. And the dude, I mean, he believes Jesus may have been a historical person, but Jesus was not the son of God because you can't be the son of someone who doesn't exist from his perspective. God ain't real. God doesn't exist. So yeah, Jesus, yeah, whatever. He was a good philosopher that had some good things to say if you even believe he existed. But for him, Christmas is a fully secular holiday. And I made this argument. So what you're telling me is, is that he is observing the birth of someone he doesn't even believe in. You're telling me he believes in him whenever he doesn't. He said, well, yeah, that's right. And I was like, but no, you're telling him what his value system is when that's obviously not his value system. He is proof that you can say, anyway, we went round and round and you didn't get anywhere. But th- what you just said, though, it, it brings home one of the main points I'd like to you know start to wrap this up with is that whenever you make a statement like that, like you can't, keep Jesus from being involved in it. So it's impossible to celebrate it secularly, which is a huge talking point within the one cup churches, at least within the circles that I ran in. Whenever you say that you're essentially thinking for someone else, you're essentially telling them what they believe in and what they don't believe in without any input from them whatsoever. You're saying, you know more about their belief system than they actually do without even asking them to begin with. And at the end of the day, what it boils down to is this, from my perspective, there's a lot of things that we do that we don't have scriptural authority for. 
even whenever we were entrenched deeply within legalism, we don't have any scriptural authority for church buildings. We don't have any scriptural authority for baptistries. We don't have any scriptural authority for a church treasury, if you want to call it that. We don't have any scriptural authority for men to wear pants, if you want to go that far with it. We don't have well, any scriptural authority for wearing ball caps. We don't have any scriptural authority for celebrating birthdays. And it's not uncommon whenever a member of a congregation has a birthday for everyone to sing happy birthday to them oh, after yeah, the, yeah. the closing prayer. Put them in the bulletin and everything. Put them in the bulletin. We don't Which have authority great. for bulletins. Yeah, that's great. But where's your book, chapter, and verse for it, man? Where's your book, well, chapter, and verse? But, pe- people would disagree with what you said, though. They would say, well, we do have authority, Lee, because those things are expedients. Uh, yeah. they're, they're, those, those are, those are not additions. And this is the problem with this hermeneutic within the, I would say not just the mainstream churches of Christ, but probably for a lot of, uh, conservative fundamentalist evangelicals, because their idea is, well, we have to do Bible things in Bible ways, dot, dot, dot until, And so what happens is we use these superficial, oversimplified phrases that everyone can rattle off and say, well, there's no authority for this or there's no authority for that. And you ask them, well, what is authority? What do you mean by authority? How are you determining that authority? Why do you think there's authority for this? And why do you not think there's authority for this? Why do you think we have to have authority for that, but not authority for this? It just shows you this broken hermeneutic. And this goes back to choruses and choirs and even instrumental music with worship songs. In the churches of Christ I grew up in, it was a sin to have a choir at your church unless they were from Freed Hardeman University or another Christian college and you would have a closing prayer and then you could have the choir because that wasn't quote unquote worship. And I even believe that was wrong back then because my question is, where is your authority for that? And if it's not worship, what is it? And if, 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 if you're not, if you're using words to praise God, but you're not actually meaning them from the heart, that would seem like vain worship according to Mark chapter seven, (laughs) verses six through seven. And I remember having these discussions, but the point is, is that there's this, this inconsistency when people want to do something they want to do, they're going to say, well, we don't have to have authority for it. Or, well, we don't need authority for it because that's an expedient. And we just create this stuff, man. It's It reminds me of when I used to play basketball with my dad. I would be getting whooped by 20 points. And I would say, hey, dad, this next shot's worth 23 points. <laughs> and I would make it and I would say, I won the game. That's kind of how I feel when it comes to the concept of authority, especially when it comes to holidays. Or like, okay, this one this is a this is a two pointer. This is a three pointer. This one we can make this one whichever one we want, and and and, and especially when we're basing it on primarily Colossians three seventeen. I mean that that's like the verse, the framework that most people view by. We got to do everything in in the name of Jesus, which means by His authority. But then we take that same phrase and say, well, we don't have to do everything. We just have to do all religious things in the name of Jesus. And then we go, well, not all necessarily like religious things. Religious things when we have the intent behind them. And we redefine and we pretty it up and we make it fit. And I'm not saying that we don't all do that because we are all inconsistent, folks. I I am, you are, we all are. We're all trying the best we can, but we're all going to find that inconsistency. It's when we're dogmatic about it that Jesus gets upset. It's when we begin to be dogmatic and condemn and judge others because they're not doing it our way. That's the problem. Absolutely, man. That's extremely well said. And that right there is the biggest and really the only issue that I have on any holiday question anymore 
is it's not a matter of the holiday itself. Yeah, and for sure. even even if you take a look at Christmas, and even if you still buy into that conception that Christmas has its origin in paganism, Paul had quite a bit to say about that in Romans fourteen and First Corinthians eight. You know, talking about meat being offered on the idols, talking about, you know, observing days or not observing days. Ultimately, whatever you do, do it unto the Lord, whether it's Halloween, whether it's Christmas or whether it's Easter, which we'll have another episode on Easter. And we'll talk about that whenever that time comes around. That'll be fun, too. But in essence, what it boils down to is if you don't believe that it is right for you to celebrate Christmas, If your conscience is telling you that, then don't do it. I mean, study it, look into it. Think about the reasons why you don't. And that doesn't mean that you have to. It doesn't mean you have to agree with me, but look at the reasons why. If it has to do with authority, look at that in terms of consistency, like we talked about. If it's because of the question it. And and that's something that we don't do very often. That's something I didn't do very often. And we don't do it well. Yeah. No, you never challenge it because, because you're fed this idea of what authority is and isn't. And it's nice how it already fits our all of our beliefs, right? I mean, that it's it's nice growing up that hey, this authority is perfect. It's <laughs> it, incredibly it, convenient. It really yeah. works for me because all <laughs> the things I want to do, I have authority for, yep. and all the things that I want to condemn everybody else over, they don't have authority for that. So how convenient is it for me to be able to do all these fun things? that I don't have a book chapter in verse four, but I don't have to have a book chapter in verse. What are we going to call that? Hmm. We're going to call that expediency. And you, we, and, and look, I'm trying not to be sarcastic here, it, but, it, but it, it's hard when you're talking about this, t- this topic. Yeah. And I, I'm upset about my, really, I'm upset at myself for, for looking at this topic that way for so many years and the joy that it stole from me, the joy that I tried to take away from others and just this idea that it's wrong. It's wrong to include Jesus in an activity. That's really the proposition that I believe, that you can bring mythical creatures into it. You can bring made-up stories. You can have reindeer. You can you can tell your children that somebody exists who doesn't, but don't you dare start talking about the Savior of the universe because that's when you've crossed the line. I mean, yeah. this is like... Are you are we listening to ourselves? Are we listening to ourselves? And that's why we really need to just challenge this idea of authority. And Lee, as you pointed out, I want to just continue to reiterate, if you don't want to celebrate it that way, that's fine. But to tell someone that they're wrong for bringing Jesus into anything, anything is something that 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 you really need to reevaluate your belief system, I believe, and ask yourself, why would it be wrong for me to bring the savior of the universe into any equation. Why would that ever be wrong to do that? Exactly. And that argument from authority, which we've already really parsed out and we've hit really, really hard that in and of itself is the primary reason why a lot of people would argue and say that this is the reason why you don't bring Jesus into it. And like you said, that needs to be challenged. If your perspective on it is, well, this has its roots in paganism, if that is something you believe, look into that. Look into that. Read about that. Look at some of the history behind it, and I think you'll see what we've talked about as far as Christmas's origins on this program. You're going to find that that's a bit more accurate of a perspective. Can you imagine—I'm not done yet, Lee. Can you 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 imagine standing before God— and him saying, oh, man, you know what? Yeah, Jesus died for you on the cross. Um, 
you, you, you pretty much did everything you're, you're supposed to do. And I, I'm speaking here from a legalistic framework, of course, but yeah, you, you did everything you're supposed to do. And, oh, wait a minute. I see here where you celebrated Jesus' birth on Christmas. Um, sorry, you were a good and faithful servant, but because of that, into eternal damnation you go because <laughs> you chose to bring Jesus. Now, now the Santa Claus thing, hey, that that was cool, man. I, I don't have a problem with that. I know, I, I know, I know. Look, everybody lies to their kids every now and then. And hey, between me and you, I know it really got your kids to behave and act a little bit better. That was cool. That was all right, you know. You, but this whole thing about bringing my son into the mix and trying to celebrate—how dare you do? Like, <laughs> like, like, this is this is something I'm going to talk about in my book. I haven't talked about my book in a little while, and I'm st- it's it was supposed to come out in fall, and I don't know when it's coming out. I've got a ton of people peer reviewing it because there's so much content in it. But well, one dude, of the it's questions- really good. Let me just plug that for you, man. It's excellent. It's really good. So go. ahead. I appreciate sorry. it, man. Well, it's it's something I've really just researched the dog out of because I think this is where everything begins is our expectation of scripture, yes. but also who is the God we serve? What God do we believe in? And while that sounds silly, the illustration I just gave, those are questions we really have to ask ourselves. Is that the kind of God that I believe in? Is that the kind of God depicted in Scripture? Is that the kind of God that I really think that I serve? And we usually don't think about it that way because we're so robotic in our belief system sometimes that we've just been conditioned to believe a certain way. We don't even challenge it. We don't question it. We don't expose ourselves to different ideas or thoughts like that. We just simply say, well, I was told by my preacher I have authority for this and I don't have authority for that. Or I was always just taught to believe I do. And it serves me. When my belief system serves me, I usually don't challenge it. And that's why it's so hard for us to challenge our belief system when it already serves us. But I ask us to challenge those things. We need to challenge those things. Absolutely. And I I couldn't possibly agree with you more on that. And it's challenging that goes further than just doing a Google search on is Christmas pagan and then reading a couple of articles about people there saying, yep, they stole from the day of the unconquered sun from the Sol Invictus festival and the winter solstice and blah, blah, blah. Well, well, okay, there it is. Dr. Google, that's what it said. So there you go. Now it, it takes a little more than that. And, and it can be difficult, especially whenever it's something that you have promoted. And that for me was the hardest part. You know, this is something that I would preach about. I mean, you could put it on the calendar. If I was on the teaching schedule for Christmas or around Christmas, at the very least the week of Christmas, I was going to give a lesson on it. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Oh yeah. I, I was going to have many lessons there. on why we know Jesus was not born on December 25th and why it's a sin to yeah. celebrate it. Absolutely. Same here. And I know for me, especially that's the hardest part. Whenever you look at it in those terms, it just, like you said, it gets you fired up. It makes you cringe a little bit and it, it makes you want to try to undo some of the damage you may have done to try to give back some of the joy that you may have stolen. And that's really the biggest reason why you and I wanted to do this episode is because we have been guilty of this. We have been guilty of promoting in, in all sincerity and in all good conscience, we have been guilty of promoting fake news, if you want to call it that, saying (laughs) that this was a pagan celebration whenever it wasn't, whenever it absolutely did not have its origins in paganism. We have been guilty of bandying about that inconsistent framework of authority whenever we will dog the authority for this, but then we'll, we'll accept other things that we have no quote authority for. And that is not, that's not the way that 
we should parse the scriptures. That's not the way we should apply the scriptures, especially when you consider this holiday and what it represents to so many people. This is a time of joy. This is a time of love. This is a time of giving. This is a time of togetherness. This is a time whenever even those people that are in, quote, the world, the people that we might not even or that some may not even consider Christians. This is a time in which Jesus does come to the forefront of a lot of people's minds. And what a wasted opportunity to get up there and to preach against the evils or to preach on the evils of Christmas, quote unquote, whenever there's an opportunity to introduce people to Jesus that may never really hear about him any other time. Yeah, no doubt about it. And just like the Grinch, I think my heart has grown three sizes since then when it comes to celebrating the birth of Christ. Oh, for sure. What my belief is on those things, because it's just a matter of, of, of looking at what the purpose of the holiday is and also just not to continue to, to just beat the dead horse that we're talking about here, but you're right. This is supposed to be a joyous holiday. And when Christians are debating over where, whether you can and can't celebrate it. And we didn't even really get into the other aspect, which is there's Christians who basically are saying, well, you know, Christmas is something that you have to celebrate as the birth of Christ. And is and this is something that if you don't celebrate it as the birth of Christ, you're really not a Christian. And that's kind of the other yeah. extreme, the other belief saying that, well, you have to sell it, you celebrate it this specific way. And, you know, and I just think we have to be careful. I think we have to be careful when it comes to holidays and respect each other's decisions, because as we talk a lot on this show, freedom, you can also be legalistic within that freedom. And we can find freedom and say, well, now you have to celebrate it this way. Well, no, that would be equally wrong. And that's Paul's point, I believe, when he's trying to apply uh, Christocentric principles to holidays by saying, look, whether you celebrate, whether you don't celebrate, it's okay. Just don't be trying to force your view on other people. And that's really when the problem begins is when we try to say you have to do it this way or you can't do it this way, whichever way you go with that. Whenever we begin to have that dogmatic attitude, that's when the problems start. That's when the division begins. And we start to judge our brothers and sisters in Christ for observing it or not observing it a certain day. But that doesn't mean we can't analyze and examine the reason as to why someone may or may not and see if it's actually good reasoning based upon the arguments that are presented. And in this case, someone is saying, well, I don't celebrate it because I don't think there's any authority for it. I'm not going to try to tell them they have to, but I am going to say, well, let's let's look at your reasoning and let's examine that in a little more detail to see if what you're saying actually holds up consistently or consistently with your belief system. And yeah. on the on the other side of things, just really quickly, I wanted to bring this point up because a lot of churches have made Wednesday a Christian holiday. Yeah. They've made Wednesday night a Christian holiday that if you don't go to Bible study on Wednesday night, you're violating the scripture. And we could we could go a completely different, whole other podcast on that. But yeah. the point is, is that a lot of churches have actually created these man-made holidays and made them Christian holidays and church holidays. And they say, well, we come to Bible study every Wednesday night. And if our members don't do that, well, they're not living faithful to God. Well, no, now you're binding a holiday that's not authorized in the Bible. There's no Bible verse that says that we're to make Wednesday a day of Bible study. There's no book, chapter, and verse for that. 
Yeah. Well, and <laughs> what you said though, and I think this would be a good point to end on because dude, we could keep riffing on this all night long and we've already gone a little further than what you and I wanted to imagine that Kevin and Lee like we've to never talk. Done that before. We've never done that before. I mean, look at our near 16 man, it's Christmas. hours. We got, we got a little extra eggnog in us, you know, that's yeah, we what got it that, is, got that eggnog, baby. That's right. But you know what you're saying about, you know, asking people to examine that belief and the purpose in that is not to try to convince someone that they're wrong or to change their mind. It's an exercise to help people learn how to think better. And yeah. they may decide that that's something they want to do. They may decide to see how deep that rabbit hole goes. And for a lot of people, they decide to take the blue pill and remain happily embedded in the matrix. They want to stay happily plugged in. And that's fine. If that's what they want to do, that's their decision. But if it's all right with you, I'd like to end with this scripture because this ultimately sums it up. It's Romans 14. We did a whole episode on this. You guys can look back in our archives and you can pull that up and, and listen to it. He says in Romans 14 and verses four through six, who are you to judge another's servant to his own master? He stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. No matter what your perspective is on Christmas, if you believe that this is the day that Jesus was born and it should be it should be celebrated and you should rejoice in that, then do it. If you're convinced in your mind that that is what you should do and what you can do, then get after it. Get after it. Do it. If you believe that Christmas is something you should only observe secularly, I would suggest that you examine why you believe that's the case, but do it. Get after it. If you don't believe that this is something you should celebrate at all, then don't celebrate it. But above all else, be fair-minded. Look at why you believe what you believe and base your choice and your decision off of that. Allow your guiding principles to be a more fair-minded approach to Scripture. Don't just take my word for it. Don't take Kevin's word for it. Don't take your preacher's word for it. And don't take Google's word for it. <laughs> Study to show yourself approved. Look into this yourself. And whatever you choose to do, be sure you do it to the Lord. Don't be afraid to bring Jesus into it. So on that note, Kevin, you got anything else you want to add before we wrap it up? No, man, that's good. I probably already have said too much, so I'm good. <laughs> Brother, you get, I like it when you get fired up, though. I enjoy whenever you get fired up. It's fun times. Well, to all of our listeners, we love all of you. We wish you all a very Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Happy New Year. We love all of you. We are so excited for what 2022 is going to bring to this podcast. We have some big ideas and some some hopeful goals in mind that we're hoping to achieve. And I think we'll be able to do it with God's grace and with y'all's help. So thank you all very much. Give us that five-star review on iTunes. Join our Facebook group, our Facebook discussion board. We love you all. Thank you all very much. And we'll see you all soon.